people in the recording, I know what you just did. You just scrolled through all the talks and you're like, yeah, sex, that sounds good. All right. I'm in your head. <laughs> all right. I found this article a few years ago. I actually mentioned it last week, but it's called, It Happened to Me. I waited until my wedding night to lose my virginity and I wish I hadn't by Samantha Pugsley, August 1st, 2014. Um, I'll just read it out. At the age of 10, I took a pledge to remain a virgin until marriage. Believing that true love awaits, I make a commitment to God, this is a pledge, myself and my family and my friends, my future mate and my future children to be sexually abstinent from this day until the day I enter biblical marriage relationship, as well as abstaining from sexual thoughts, sexual touching, pornography and actions that are known to lead to sexual arousal. At the age of 10, I took a pledge at my church alongside a group of other girls to remain a virgin until marriage. Yes, you read that right. I was 10 years old. Let's take a look at what I was, at who I was as a 10-year-old. I was in fourth grade. I played with Barbie dolls and I had tea parties with imaginary friends. I pretended I was a mermaid every time I took a bath. I still thought boys were icky and I had no idea I liked girls too. I wouldn't get my period for another four years and most importantly, I didn't have a clue about sex. The church taught me that sex was for married people. Extramarital sex was sinful and dirty and I would go to hell if I did it. I learned that as a girl, I had a responsibility to my future husband to remain pure for him. It was entirely possible that my future husband wouldn't remain pure for me because he didn't have that same responsibility according to the Bible. I don't know where she gets that from, but anyway. And of course, because I was a Christian, I would forgive him from his past transgressions and fully give myself to him body and soul. Once I got married, it would be my duty to fulfill my husband's sexual needs. I was told over and over again, so many times I lost count, that if I remained pure, my marriage would be blessed by God, and if I didn't, that it would fall apart and end in tragic divorce. I believed it. Why wouldn't I? I was young, and these were people that I trusted. Everyone knew I'd taken the virginity vow, of course. Gossip is the lifeblood of the Baptist church. My parents were so proud of me for making such a spiritual decision. The church congregation applauded my righteousness. For more than a decade, I wore my virginity like a badge of honor. My church encouraged me to do so, saying my testimony would inspire other young girls to follow suit. If the topic ever came up in a conversation, I was happy to let people know that I had taken a pledge of purity. It became my entire identity by the time I hit my teens. When I met my then boyfriend, now husband, I told him right away that I was saving myself for marriage and he was fine with that because it was my body, my choice, and he loved me. We were together for six years before we got married. Anytime we did anything remotely sexual, guilt overwhelmed me. I wondered where the line was because I was terrified to cross it. Was he allowed to touch my breasts? Could we look at each other naked? I didn't know what was considered sexual enough to condemn my future marriage and send me straight to hell. An unhealthy mixture of pride, fear, and guilt helped me keep my pledge until we got married. In the weeks before our wedding, I often got congratulated on, my, on keeping my virginity for so long. The comments range from curious, how in the world did you manage, to downright disgusting. I bet you're going to have one busy wedding night. I let them place me on the pedestal as their virginal perfect Christian girl mascot. I lost my virginity on my wedding night with my husband just as I had promised that day when I was 10 years old. I stood in the hotel bathroom beforehand wearing my white lingerie thinking I'd made it. I'm a good Christian. There was no chorus of angels, no shining light from heaven. It was just me and my husband in a dark room, fumbling, fumbling with a condom and a bottle of lube for the first time. Sex hurt. I knew it would. Everyone told me it would be uncomfortable the first time. What they didn't tell me is that I would be back in the bathroom afterward, crying quietly for reasons I didn't yet comprehend. 
They didn't tell me that I'd be on my honeymoon crying again because sex felt dirty and wrong and sinful, even though I was married and it was supposed to be okay now. When we got home, I couldn't look anyone in the eye. Everyone knew my virginity was gone. My parents, my church, my friends, my co-workers, they all knew I was soiled and tarnished. I wasn't special anymore. My virginity had become such an essential part of my, of my personality that I didn't know who I was without it. It didn't get better. I avoided undressing in front of my husband. I tried not to kiss him too often or too amorously so I wouldn't lead him on. I dreaded bedtime. Maybe he'd want to have sex. When he did, I obliged. I wanted nothing more than to make him happy because I loved him so much and because I'd been taught it was my duty to, to fulfill his needs. But I hated sex. Sometimes I cried myself to sleep because I wanted to like it, because it wasn't fair. I'd done everything right. I took the pledge and stayed true to it. Where was the blessed marriage I was promised? I let it go on this way for almost two years before I broke down. I just couldn't do it anymore. I told my husband everything. My feminist husband was horrified that I'd let him touch me when I didn't want him to. He made me promise I'd never do anything I didn't want to do ever again. We stopped having sex. He encouraged me to see a therapist and I did. It was the first step on a long journey to healing. Ten-year-old girls want to believe in fairy tales. Take this pledge and God will love you so much and be so proud of you, they told me. If you wait to have sex until marriage, God will bring you a, a wonderful Christian husband and you'll get married and live happily ever after, they said. Waiting didn't give me a happily ever after. Instead, it controlled my identity for over a decade, landed me in therapy and left me a stranger in my own skin. I was so completely ashamed of my body and my sexuality that it made having sex a demoralizing experience. I don't go to church anymore, nor am I religious. As I started to heal, I realized that I couldn't figure out how to be both religious and sexual at the same time. I chose sex. Every single day is a battle to remember that my body belongs to me and not to the church of my childhood. I have to constantly remind myself that a pledge I took when I was 10 doesn't define who I am today. When I have sex with my husband, it's I make sure it's because I have a sexual need and not because I, I'm required to fulfill his desires. I'm now thoroughly convinced that the entire concept of virginity is used to control female sex sexuality. If I could go back, I would not wait. I would have sex with my then boyfriend, now husband, and I wouldn't go to hell for it. We would have gotten married at a more appropriate age and I would have kept my sexuality to myself. Unfortunately, I can't go back, but I can give you this message as a culmination of my experiences. If you want to wait to have sex until marriage, make sure it's your it's sorry, make sure it's because you want to. It's your body, it belongs to you, not your church. Your sexuality is nobody's business but yours. The end. <laughs> sorry, that was a long Exhausting. article. Sorry? Exhausting. Exhausting, yes. Um Yeah, it's pretty heavy, hey. Um I really like that article, even though it's like kind of Debo and down and yeah she did not have a good experience but what I like about it is that she's being honest and she's just sharing her experience and she finally faced up to something that was inside of her and just went you know what I can't live like this anymore and just shared it she brought it up to the surface she didn't let it just stay in her heart which I'm sure lots of Christian wives probably do they've, they've been taught their whole lives don't have sex till marriage. And if you do make it that far, God's gonna bless your marriage, God's gonna bless your sex life, it's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be awesome. And they get there and like this girl's experience, it was like anything but. Um, yeah, so the reason I read that out is because I grew up in the church, right? And I reckon absolutely every time there was a sermon on sex, 
someone in some way would mention, don't do it until you're married. It's like seriously, like hammered at you since you're a young kid, if you grow up in the church and in a Christian environment. And it is true, like that is a biblical teaching. But what the church does, I've found most commonly, is they grab that teaching and put it above everything. And like this girl experienced, virginity becomes this pedestal, this icon, this like, if you're doing that, you're doing great. And like a few people actually do it. They actually like can control themselves somehow sexually and remain pure until marriage. Not many people can from my experience, but some can. And then what happens is it divides people because the people that can do it, they're few, they get super proud they get super judgmental. And I was like this for a while. I was just like, man, how can people mess around before marriage? It's just so easy to not do that. Da, 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 da. I, don't, I don't know, I was just messed up. But um, I was just super like judgmental and, and self-righteous. And I was like, this is not hard guys. Come on, get your act together. But then what happens on the other side of things is that most people constantly, if they wanna to go to church and they wanna connect with God, they are wrestling with guilt, shame, condemnation, and just, like feeling like God hates them and God's not for them and God's angry at them for years and years and years and years. And either they get married and then it kind of gets a bit better because there's no longer this like, no way that you can express yourself sexually or they leave the church, which is something that I've seen very commonly because why would you want to keep going to a place that makes you feel like crap every single week? Especially when you think you're the only one screwing up and everyone else is fine and perfect, which is how everyone feels, by the way. <laughs> It's not true. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It just, it creates this culture. It creates this culture within the church that we assume people are either happily married and enjoying sex all the time and it's all fine, it's all, all roses and all good. Um, and that's honestly rarely the case. And it creates this culture that sex is super taboo and you can't bring it up unless you're talking about like um, not having sex until you're married. <laughs> that's kind of like the only topic that's all right in the church to talk about sexually. You can't say, oh, I messed up last night or I slept with this person or you can't say that. You get kicked out. You get judged. You get sent to the pastor's office for a counseling session. Do you know what I mean? You'll be made to feel like crap. <laughs> and you'll think you're alone. You think you're the only one in the whole church screwing up. You think something's wrong with you and you think that you're broken <laughs> because sex is so taboo. It's so taboo, we can't even talk about it. Like if we even mention body parts, people are just like, oh, don't, don't mention that, that's, that's too funny, we can't talk about that. <laughs> it's like, what? What other body parts do you make a reaction about that? <laughs> about, sorry, that didn't make sense, but you know what I mean? You don't hear like tongue or ear and go, oh, that's weird and funny, don't talk about that. It's just this weird thing because I reckon the enemy knows if he can keep it in the dark, like the dark places in your heart is where shame grows. Like imagine mold growing in a bathroom, right? It's cold, it's dark, it's damp. That's where mold grows. In an environment where it's dark in your heart, that's where shame grows. That's where guilt grows. That's where like death grows, to be honest. You're never gonna have a, like, a fulfilled uh, life of joy walking with God if shame is just following you around everywhere you go. Because we don't, we don't talk about it and we feel like crap consistently with this topic. So my big idea for tonight is, I want to bring sex into the light. I wanna be able to talk about it 
because everyone faces it. Everyone goes through these issues of like temptation and struggling and sin and all these different things. And they have no one to talk about it with. And all they hear, the only people that are actually talking about it is probably the media and culture and songs. And they start to, if, if they're the only, anyone, only ones talking about it, that's probably where you're going to get your ide ideology of sex, right? The church doesn't talk about it properly and openly and publicly and not in this weird, strange way. It just doesn't relate to you at all. Well, then you're going to go somewhere else to find out what you think about sex. Yeah. Okay. Because we just don't feel comfortable talking about it, some of us have been driven crazy with this topic. And I have personally been driven crazy with this topic for a long time. We feel like either one of these things or maybe a whole combination of these things. We feel like we're the only ones struggling and we're completely alone, isolated, and there's no one who can talk to us because we're just complete sexual weirdos or perverts or whatever. We feel like God hates us. We feel like we're going to go to hell because Jesus just can't keep forgiving us over and over again. Um, we've committed an unforgivable sin. And we feel weak because we just can't get a handle on this and everyone else seems to have a handle on this because we don't talk about it. <laughs> so we assume because the enemy whispers and goes, hey, you're the only one screwing up with this. Right? You know that, right? Everyone else has got this down. You're the one that's weird, isolating you, separating you, making you feel lonely, pathetic, and you can't reach out. But you totally can reach out. And I want this community to be a place where you can reach out to people, not to everyone. Like this, you don't throw everything out to everyone. That'd be kind of strange. But you find people that you can trust and that you can confide in and say, hey, I need help. I really need help because I'm stuck in this. I'm entangled in this. I don't know how to get out and it's been years. Can you help me? Sure. The Bible says if you, if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you'll be healed. So you just confessed it to me. You asked me to pray for you. So the Bible says you're going to be healed. Anyway, that's kind of my big idea for tonight. So, okay, we need to, as a community first, so starting in this room, starting with the people here, as a community first and as a culture at large, remove the taboo-ness around sex and talk about it freely. If we don't, someone else will, and they won't talk about it properly in the will of God, and so we'll get confused as to what's right if we listen to them. Does that make sense? If we're not going to talk about what God thinks about sex, we're going to hear what the world has, thinks about sex, and then we're going to incorporate what the world thinks about sex into our sexual relationships, and that's not going to be good because they'll just tear you apart because the world doesn't know what sex is. The world thinks it knows what sex is. Everyone has their own opinion on it, and they think they know exactly what's going on, but God invented it, so I'm going to trust Him. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to say this. Boys have penises. Girls have vaginas. You say that? Part of the syllabus is to make the children <laughs> say all the puns. Yeah, that's also, good. But we also related it to making them realize that it's not to do. Yes, that's and so even, good. Like even the word sex, I would bring documents that actually had the word sex and all that meant was just what gender are you? Oh, wow, yeah. Because we would have to, they, they would have to say all the words. And yeah. by the end of the year, they got pretty good at it. Wow. Did they giggle at first? <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure they did. And lots of them went bright red in the face. Yeah. Lots of them said they'd never said the word before. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. And we did talk about all the other nicknames. And yeah. we talked about why people prefer to say sure. and all that as opposed to the real term. Yeah. Um, and how God made us, made us beautiful in his image and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, they, they all have a bit of a giggle. Yeah. 
That's good. Yeah, I just, I feel like if we can't even talk about like normal sort of like scientific body terms, we're probably never going to talk about sex like in a real that's sort of relatable way. Do you know what I mean? Um, we, we use words like hoo-ha and your ding, ding dong and all that crap. It's just like, we're not babies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just that, that's how babies talk. <laughs> anyway, um, that was just to get your giggles out of the way, guys. So, um, yeah, it's good. They're just body parts. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. God's will is to bring sex into the light so that you can be naked and unashamed. Because that was his heart from the beginning. He invented sex. And he goes, it's such a good thing, but I want them to be naked and unashamed. We are naked and ashamed, as I said last week. We have so much shame, guilt, and condemnation and darkness with sex because we've all messed up or we don't know who we are or we, who we're attracted to or all these different things. We don't know how to process our history, our sexual history and the thoughts that go through our head. And we carry shame with it. We don't, we don't feel comfortable to talk to people about it which means you have shame, naked and ashamed. That's not God's will. He wants you to be unashamed, freely vulnerable, freely in the light. Um, there was this TED talk called um, The Power of Vulnerability. Anyone seen that? It's literally the most watched TED talk in the world. It's pretty cool if you go watch it. Um, it's got like 30 million views or something. It's crazy. There was this lady, her name's like... Oh, uh, Brene? Yeah, Brene Brown. Yeah. You know her? Yeah, um, she's like a, what is she Jess? Like a social scientist, like a sociologist or something. Yeah, and, and anthropologist. Anthropologist, yeah. <laughs> so basically she studies humans and human behavior. Um, and she did this huge study for like, it was a while, like six, 10 years, something like that. And um, she found these conclusions about all humans. And one thing she found was that Every single person has in common this need, this craving, this desire to connect. That's what ties us all together. Everyone wants to connect. Whether you want to connect to someone else, connect to God, connect to yourself, connect to ideas, you want to connect, right? And she said, like, that's a pretty basic kind of conclusion, but I, I agree with it. And it's like, it's all about relationship, right? That's what we talk about teaching. That's all about relationship, connection, connecting with God. Um, and she said there was this, everyone had this desire to connect, but, not, but everyone was not able to connect in the way they wanted to. And the thing that stopped them was shame. Shame actually stopped people from connecting. They weren't okay with who they were. They weren't okay with things that they'd done. They weren't okay with like someone finding out about them. So they stopped, from, they stopped, themselves, they stopped themselves from connecting to other people. And she said, out of those people who had experienced shame, there was two groups that formed. And this is what I want to bring up. She said there was people who let the shame rule over them. The shame just kind of defined them. The shame would follow them around and they would never know how to get past shame. But then there was other people who actually embraced vulnerability and said, I do experience this shame, but I'm okay with it. And they told someone or they just kind of were themselves anyway. And she said, only those people who learn how to be vulnerable and expose the areas of their lives that weren't, they weren't exactly happy with, they were the ones who were able to connect again and had the most authentic, joyful, real relationships because they embraced vulnerability. They brought their shame to the surface. They let the light expose it, so to speak, and they could let it go and move on. They'd be, they could be okay with not being okay. That makes sense? 
It's pretty cool. Go watch the talk. Power of vulnerability. Um, yeah. The point is, what I want to say, you guys, is that we need to have people in our lives that we talk about sex with and what's going on with you personally, sexually at the moment. Like, what's going through your mind? How are you feeling? Like, are you struggling? Are you tempted? Like, what's going on? Talk to me. I want to know. I'm not going to judge you. Are you kidding me? I have the same issues myself, probably. Let's just talk. Let's just talk. All right. Point number one. I'm going to start with God's design of sex because I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, point number one, God's design of sex. Firstly, okay, this is just crazy. It's so crazy. Sex was God's idea. Like everyone knows that, but they don't really think about it. God thought of it. He's a creator. He sat up in heaven and he was like, how can I get the man and the woman to connect and image me? Because I'm connected to the son and the spirit. You know what I mean? How can I do it? How about this completely naked, vulnerable experience where the most intimate part of the man connects with the most intimate part of the woman and they're face to face in complete vulnerability. Shame's gone out the window and they can connect and see one another and experience the most exhilarating physical rushes of emotions and chemicals in the brain and all that sort of stuff in one moment. Yeah, that's a good idea. God thought of it. See, people think God hates sex, but he thought of it. <laughs> he planned it out. He's a creator. It was his idea. He wants people to have sex. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. How did he think they were going to do that? <laughs> fill the earth? Are you kidding me? Fill the earth. Is the earth full right now? No. So God's like, yeah, keep, keep going. <laughs> Are you serious? Keep going. More sex. <laughs> God thought of it. I just, I can't get over that. I'll never get over that. Because you just get raised to think that he just hates, he hates the fact that you have sexual desires. He looks at you and he's just like, he's so disappointed. Dude, he put them there. He put them there. You're supposed to have sexual desires. Anyway, it's blowing my mind if it's not blowing your guys' minds. Um, Sex is, I see all of you and you see all of me and we still love one another. That's what it's supposed to symbolize. Full vulnerability, full exposure. I'm seen. I'm exposed. I'm in the light and you still love me and want to be with me, connect with me. See what he's trying, trying to get at? It's so much deeper than this like physical thing. We turn it into such a physical thing like just, oh, I just want to get laid or I just want to get lucky or I just want to, all that sort of stuff, right? God's like going, man, you guys are like swimming in the kiddie pool. There's like a, there's a deep end, you know. <laughs> I, I designed it to be like incredible intimate connection with someone else. And you go, you just want to have the physical part? Dude, that's, you're selling yourself short. Anyway. Um, how crazy is this? The hymen on the female body is like this little sack of blood. And when there's first penetration during sex, blood happens, right? Blood pours out. It only happens once and it never grows back. That's part of the female body. So when the, the man and the woman, the, the husband and wife come together for the first time and they connect, the blood covenant of Jesus, <laughs> you know what I mean? Joining as one and then blood symbolizes the covenant they just made in marriage. 
and it never grows back. That's, that's crazy. One time. It was like this, like, actually, this is crazy as well. In Jewish uh, sort of culture and history, I heard this a few months ago, apparently sex and marriage and all that sort of stuff was like so untaboo. It was just like, it was just like everyday kind of language, every kind, everyday kind of speak. So what, what happened was at a wedding, the husband and wife have come together. This, this would never happen today. This actually is freaking crazy. But there would be, they have the wedding ceremony, they get married, it's all good, it's awesome. Then there'd be this bed in the middle of the reception, but like with walls, or like a curtains and stuff around it. And they would lead the husband and wife into there. They would consummate the marriage. And then what the wife would do is throw the, bl- the blood-stained blanket over the top of the curtains and everyone would see that. And people were watching and waiting. Yeah, it's crazy, hey. But it was so like deep and symbolic to them. And it was like, that was like a sign of like purity and the blood was a sign of purity and like the covenant. And do you know what I mean? Like it's so, it's so symbolic. It's so much better than what we reduce it down to be. See, I've got a bit of a problem with that. Do you? Uh, Hyman, yeah. Um, the Hyman actually can get broken. Yeah, yeah, I, I have heard that. We can ride sex. a bike. Yeah. Riding a bike, riding, riding a horse. Yeah. That's pretty Even crazy. through accident, through anything like that, it can get broken. And, I, yeah. and I, my thought went straight away to if that woman didn't produce the blood. Sure. She might be feel ashamed, yeah. Yeah, what happens there, where, where she would not have a reason to be ashamed. Sure. And, but that, so that's the first thing that goes to my mind. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I guess if that does happen, maybe they, hopefully they weren't riding too many bikes back, back in the day or riding <laughs> yeah, too well, many. It, I, I'm sorry, I, I thought that was still a tradition. Yeah. Is it? I believe it is. Oh, yeah. okay. I believe that it's still not. Totally open to that. They actually have the bed there and then no. in the middle of the reception. But well, that's, yeah, that's what I heard. It's supposed to be proof to the mother. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm. Yeah. And that's why it's just, that is just the first thing that popped in my mind. Yeah. You know, there, there, are, there are a few reasons why how that can break without actually yeah. being um, intimate. Sure, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it, even if that can happen, I think the design is that it would break during sex for the first time and mm-hmm. that's a sort of a symbolic thing for the, the blood covenant, which is awesome. Um, so, yeah, even that whole thing with the blood and the covenant and all that sort of stuff, can you see how, how deeply symbolic this whole thing is? Right, you guys get that right. It is symbolic, like the exposure, the vulnerability, the all, the nakedness, the the no shame, all that sort of stuff. It's 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 trying to teach you something about God. See, I I I think that there's no part of life that's not designed. So every single part of life, God thought out and goes, there's a purpose and reason behind this. And like for example, like I said last week, marriage. Right, the whole point of marriage was to point you to how. God was teaching you, this is how I relate to my people. The husband and the wife, God and his church, right? Um, same with sex, right? He's not going to put something crazy like sex in the middle of all creation and it has no meaning or purpose. There's, there's specific meaning and purpose behind all of creation and I'm going to say especially sex. And what I'm trying to say is here that he, through sex is demonstrating to us his relationship and closeness and vulnerability with man. 
So as, as close and as vulnerable and as exposed as you can get to another human being during sex with your husband, with your wife on this earth, God's like, yeah, that's kind of like a tiny little bit of how vulnerable and, and intimate and personal and intertwined and united we are going to be in the kingdom. But no one believes that. <laughs> because you, you start thinking about that, you just say, oh my gosh, are you serious? Like, I'm going to be closer to you. To you. You're going to be closer to us as a people than even what I can experience sexually here right now. Because that feels so close, you know what I mean? Fully naked with another human being. Intimately intimately connected with them. God's like, yeah, it's a little bit of what what you're going to experience. So he's trying to teach you. He's trying to teach you about his relationship with you. Sex is actually, it's awesome because it's not an end to itself. You don't just do it and that's just kind of it. It's a sign pointing to something even greater. You guys know what I'm saying? God's like intimately involved in sex and we think he's like disgusted at us. Because we, we've, we've let it become taboo. We've let it become dark and it, it dwells in the dark places of our hearts and we don't let it become, come to the light. God's like, have sex in the light. Bring sex to the light. Talk about it. Be open with it. I made it. It's a gift for you guys. I, I feel like as, as long as we keep sex taboo and in the dark, the enemy can have his way because shame will just pollute everyone with it. Anyway, um, we also read last week that the man and the woman were both naked and unashamed, right? Genesis 2.25. That's God's desire for you sexually. He wants you to be naked and unashamed. Do you know that? Do you think about that? I, I find that a really hard thought to imagine that God would want that for me. Do you know what I mean? Or for, for anyone else, you know what I mean? He wants you, okay, you're probably, you're probably just not going to hear a sentence like this in most churches, to be honest, but let's just say it. He wants you to have pure, vulnerable, intimate, enjoyable, consistent sex with your spouse. <laughs> pure, vulnerable, intimate, enjoyable, consistent. Even enjoyable. I said enjoyable, didn't I? <laughs> he wants you to enjoy it. It's a gift to you. Just don't misuse it. It's the most powerful gift probably on this entire earth. So if you use it for good, it's freaking amazingly powerful for, for, for the goodness and bringing life. But if you use it for bad, it's incredibly destructive. Maybe the most destructive thing on this planet. All right. Having sex pleases God. <laughs> Glorifies him. I'm just, I'm just breaking down all the things that you don't think he actually thinks. But I'm telling you, he does think that. He is pleased when you make love with your wife or your husband. When you do it the way he designed it to be, glorifying him. That pleases him. He enjoys that. It's not weird. He invented it. <laughs> um, Genesis 4.1 says, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and they bore a son. Adam knew his wife, Eve, and they bore a son. When it says he knew her, it means that he slept with her. So the knowing, the, the way that the Bible talks about sex, he knew her. <laughs> knowing, intimate connection, relationship. That he didn't say, and he slept with her and she bore a son. And he knew her. I just find that crazy. Um, how amazing is it that sex was actually intended for a man to know his wife in true vulnerability and intimacy? That's how he's going to know his wife, through sex. 
and amongst other things, of course, but like primarily through sex. <clears throat> okay, this is crazy as well. All right, here we go. Get some Hebrew words for you. I very rarely do this, but this is cool. The, uh, the words for, uh, okay, the word for sex in Hebrew is dode, right? D-O-D-E. Um, but you never get the word dode without these, these other words, reya and ahava. So you only get dodes, you only get sex when reya and ahava are there. So reha is companionship. That's what the Hebrew word means, companionship. But it's not just companionship as in like, oh, you want to hang out and be friends. It's just like, this companionship is much deeper than that in the Hebrew language. This companionship is, I've seen all of you. I've seen your, your bad side, your crazy side, your irrational side. And yeah, I still want to be your friend. I still want to connect with you. I still want to have life with you. That's Raya. Ahava is the love of the will. The love of the will. A love that sees how hard life and relationship can be and how stressful and intense and just crazy and like stupid and all this stuff it can be, like relationships can be. Ahava is, I see all of that and I'm still on board. I still love you. Can you see the theme of, of uh, Raya and Ahava? They're both just like, it doesn't matter. I'm on board. I'm into you. I'm yours. And then only in the context of those two words, do you ever find dode and dode get, get, get this. This is what it literally means. A mingling of souls, a mingling of souls. That's what the Bible says about sex, two souls coming together, mingling with one another, commuting, uh, not commuting, uh, what's what I'm looking for, connecting and relating to one another, two souls, seriously, not just physical. It's seriously deeper than that. God only wants sex, as we mentioned last week, where we have Reya and Ahava, which is basically present in marriage, right? That's what God wants. A lifelong bond that is unbreakable and immovable. And then he goes, now you get it. Now you can experience true intimacy, true vulnerability, and probably the most enjoyable act on earth because you've given your whole life this lifelong bond to someone else that's unbreakable and immovable. Now you have a platform and an environment where true intimacy and vulnerability can come out. You do your whole life together and there's no secrets and you're completely fully exposed, sorry, exposed, exposed and vulnerable. And he goes, that's the area that I designed sex for. That's the area that sex is gonna thrive in. That's the area that's gonna join you two together and you're gonna know each other, truly know each other through sex. Naked and unashamed. That's where naked and unashamed lives, in that place, in the reya and ahava, in the marriage. Make sense? I think it's amazing. Sex is so powerful because of what it does. It ties two people together like super glue. But because it's so powerful in a good way, if it's used in a bad way, that can also be super powerfully bad. Now, I want to just talk about our world of sex as we know it. There's three things I want to just bring up um, before I share what I reckon God wants to do with it. So this is point number two, our broken world of sex. <clears throat> now, we obviously live in a very broken world of sex, right? Everyone knows that. Even the world knows that. It's pretty messed up. It's pretty bad. There's a lot of crap going on and everyone kind of thinks they have it together, but no one really does. Um, 
What we do is we take God's plan of sex in the context of unbreakable commitment and we do it our own way and we expect no dire consequences. We go, it's my body, it's my life, my choice, my desire. I can do whatever I want, right? This, I, I, I can sleep with whoever I want. I can engage with whoever I want. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to be any consequences. And sometimes it kind of seems like that, especially on, uh, on the media, on, in uh, pop culture, all that sort of stuff, especially with birth control, because birth control, basically, you can have as much sex as you want and you're pretty much never going to get pregnant if you do it right. So the consequences are like way more hidden now. They're a lot more internal sort of stuff. <clears throat> but if you want to do it your way and not God's way, then you can never achieve naked and unashamed in the way he intended. You will likely carry shame, embarrassment, guilt, and in insecurity and humiliation around with you your whole life. And those are heavy burdens that you were never meant to carry. See, we think God goes, do sex my way or I'm going to throw you into hell. And we're just like, oh my gosh, he kidding me right now this is too hectic for me i can't handle that it's way too much temptation for me sexually da, 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 all that sort of stuff and we get super burdened by that that uh command don't have sex till marriage it becomes this huge weight on our shoulders right <clears throat> and so we go the other way and we do sex our own way but then what end up, ends up happening is often more often than not we carry shame we carry embarrassment we carry guilt we carry insecurity and we carry humiliation around with us our whole lives so either way you're burdened and Jesus never intended, God never intended for you to carry those burdens through life. Never, ever, ever. Naked and unashamed. You're not carrying a huge weight around with you. You're just truly, freely yourself for the first time ever. Another human being gets to, gets to experience that with you. Truly, freely yourself. That's what God wants you to be. In Him. It's not a burden. It's not a, I can't believe you didn't. I can't believe you looked at that. I can't believe you. That's how we think it is. God's not like that. Whew. All right. So what I want to talk about is three ways we twist sex for our own use and it deteriorates our lives. The first one, masturbation, pornography. <coughs> now, if we're going to talk about uh, sorry, vulnerability, then I need to, I need to lead from the front. Um, personally, I struggled with masturbation and pornography for many years since I was like a young teenager for like ages. It just like super grabbed hold of me and I didn't know how to get out of it. And I didn't even know if it was wrong, but like, I don't know. It's just all sorts of bad stuff. Um, and totally, I felt like I was the only one. I totally felt like I was like completely like the only person who did this or the only person who struggled with this or was tempted by it. Um, and it had a hold of me for ages because actually the culture totally makes you feel like it's completely normal. It's kind of like a right of way passage for the for teenagers to go through. Oh, they're just going to struggle with porn. They're going to struggle with masturbation. They're kind of finding themselves. They're kind of finding who they are, who they are sexually. It's all right. Just let them do it. And so if that's the culture, that's what you're hearing. That's what you're hearing. Like that's the majority sort of like, uh, that's, uh, I'm lost. If that's the main thing that you're hearing about sex and you're not hearing about stuff that's relatable at church from the word, what God's will is for your life, you're probably going to listen to that. And I totally did. Um, <clears throat> but one thing that actually, and I actually fully um, tried to like justify it with the Bible as well, because the Bible never, never actually says masturbation or porn is like wrong. Like it's, you're not going to find a sentence that says like, don't masturbate or don't look at pornography, right? Pornography wasn't even around by then. I don't think maybe it was in some weird, strange way. Um, as in like art and stuff like that. I don't know. Um, 
but I tried to like justify it. I was like, oh, it doesn't really say you can't do it. So I was like looking for Bible verses to try and like back myself up. Um, but, and I kind of was convinced in my head like it was all right for a while. But then what I realized and what I really see clearly now is that this is the, probably the worst thing about masturbation and porn is that it totally makes sex all about you. Like you're the only person involved. So the only possible motivation you have behind doing it is to please yourself, which actually slowly but surely rewires your thinking into sex is about me, sex is about me, sex is about me. So when you get into a marriage or you get into a relationship where you start having sex with someone else, it's very difficult to break away from that. Very, very difficult to break away from that because you've trained yourself the exact opposite way for years. And the key to a good sexual relationship is that you figure out that it's not about you and then you live that out in your sexual relationship. It's not about you. It's about the other person, pleasing the other person. No one talks about that at church either. That's crazy. Um, uh, yeah, one time I read this book. This is when I was like, me and Amber were first dating. It was a book on marriage. And I was like actually shocked by this thing that this person said. Um, he said, like he was kind of talking about love and marriage and commitment and all this stuff. It's a really amazing book. It's called The Meeting of Marriage by Tim Keller. Anyone, anyone of you guys read that? It's really cool. Anyway, um, he goes something along the lines of like, you have to learn and understand that the entire design of sex was so that even during sex and, and, and making love, that you'd understand that the whole process is not even about you at all. And I was like, that literally blew my mind. I was like, who would be that selfless in the middle of the most incredible, exhilarating thing on earth? You'd be thinking about someone else. Well, that's what God's like. <laughs> He's not thinking about what he can get from someone else. That's what we do with sex. But the design of it was that even during sex that you would be thinking about the other person. And that's weird, isn't it? Don't you reckon? Totally, that doesn't fly well with this culture because it's all about what you can get from someone else. You meet someone in like a drunken state and just like, like neither of you care about one another. You just, you just met them. How could you care about one another? Neither of you committed to one another. You just, you just want each other's bodies. You just don't want to feel lonely. You just don't want to feel like no one's seeking after you. No one's, you know, no one's attracted to you. You just want that feeling. You just want that thing. Well, then it's all about you. And when you get into a relationship, when it's just like you're with one person forever, you need to learn that it's not about you. And that's the key to a good sexual relationship. It's the key to all of life. It's knowing that life isn't about you. Um, by the way, I totally feel, it, feel free to call out questions as well because I'm just going to try and get through these quickly. Um, sex was, de was designed so that while your body is experiencing the most intense feelings it could maybe ever experience, you're meant to be thinking about pleasing and enjoying the other person rather than using them to get what you want. <clears throat> that's what deepens love in the relationship. When you have a mindset and perspective on sex like that, where it's not about you, and that's going to deepen your relationship so much deeper. And you won't be let down and disappointed because it's never about you in the, in the first place. You won't have like this, like, oh yeah, sex is, yeah, I don't know, it's just not really, you won't have that. Cause it's not about you. <laughs> and that's what makes it truly mo the most enjoyable thing is that you actually are so pleased that you get to please someone else and enjoy that experience with them. Whereas thinking about what you are and what, what you are and what you're not getting will destroy the relationship bit by bit. 
oh, she just doesn't please me sexually. Oh, it's just not really what I thought. Like, I don't know. I just don't really enjoy it. Like that, that'll just slowly but surely just deteriorate the relationship bit by bit sexually. And then one day someone just explode and you go, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> like that, that, that girl in the, in, the, in the article that I read out before got to this point where it's like, I can't do this anymore. She just brought it all up. So good that she did that. She totally could have kept just like kept it in her heart. And that she goes, that's the start of the process of a long journey to healing. Some of us need sexual healing. You know guys in that song, sexual healing? <laughs> um, we need it. Um, cool. Okay. Yep, yeah, cool. I'll tell you this quick story. Um, actually, wait for that. Yeah. Masturbation and pornography take you away from God, not towards Him. Because you're all about yourself. And I reckon totally, probably, I don't know your lives. I'm not judging. <laughs> I just know experience of life. Most people in this room have probably struggled with this and maybe are still struggling with this. If you are, whether you're a guy or a girl, I feel like it's easier for guys to talk about it for some reason, which is totally not cool. Like, I think lots of girls struggle with it. Whether you're a guy or a girl, please tell someone that you can trust and get prayer from them. Please just be honest and say, you know what, I, I really struggle with this and I'm super embarrassed to share this, but like, I just totally feel like I need to tell someone. Just bring it up. <laughs> bring it to the light. God will heal you. Just don't let it sit in your heart and just destroy you bit, bit, from, bit by bit in your heart. It's totally not what you are called to. <sighs> Quick story. Um, this pastor from Bethel, Chris Valentin, he has a son. And when his son was like in his, in his uh, teenage years, he just came to his dad one day and was like, I really struggle with porn, dad. I need some help. And his dad was like, oh, okay. Um, thank you so much for coming to me. What can we do? And I started like talking about ideas of, I started praying and talking about ideas of how they can like help him. And then a couple months later, he came back and he goes, dad, I'm, I'm still struggling with, I don't know how to get away from this. And then his dad was like, okay, um, do you want to tell the family? And he was like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And then his dad was like, you don't have to, but I'm just putting it out there. And he goes, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do that. So this, guy, this boy, which is just fascinating to me, teenage boy with sisters and mother and all that, tells them that he's really struggling with porn, he doesn't know how to get out of it, and he would really appreciate if they prayed for him and just fully just became vulnerable. Apparently, from that moment on, he never struggled with it again. <laughs> how cool is that? <laughs> and I'm not saying that's a method to get you free. Like you don't, you don't go and find your sisters and say whatever so you can get free. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> the point is be vulnerable and don't let your heart sit in darkness. Yeah, I think you get that. All right, number two, sinning sexually with someone that you're not married to. Now, <clears throat> People engaging with each other sexually outside of marriage is absolutely rampant in our culture and in the church. 100% it's rampant in the church, not just outside the church. Don't believe that like everyone in the church is like fully just got this sorted. They don't. I almost think most don't. <laughs> From my experience, just talking to people, most don't. Um, we are, we are people who are just controlled by the lusts of the flesh and we do what our bodies tell us they want. <clears throat> and Romans 8 says, if you live by the dictates of the flesh, you will die. 
But if you live by the spirit, it's life and peace. If you live and just follow exactly what your body tells you to do, it's death. And I don't just mean just like you're going to just drop dead. I mean that things will start to deteriorate in your life. Your relationships will deteriorate. You'll hurt yourself. You'll hurt the other person because you're following the flesh, not the spirit. Um, and please, like, I probably, I probably know I'm convicting most people in this room right now, like, definitely including myself. Um, don't, don't feel this weight, this heaviness. That's the, that's the opposite of this point, of, of this talk. Feel it, grieve over it. Go, yeah, damn it, damn it. We don't, we so do that. I did that. Ah, hate it. And then go and tell someone and <laughs> get prayer. Seek God. He wants to heal you. Why else would he say, confess sins to one another, get prayer, and then and you'll be healed? He must want to heal you. He must want to. Um, so, there are so many, honestly speaking, there are so many Christian couples, boyfriend, girlfriends, fiancés, um, who you might expect to be like squeaky clean sexually, but very often they're either sleeping together or engaging sexually with one another because they don't know how to control themselves. That's like so many people. <clears throat> this is not just talking about sexual intercourse, but also oral sex, touching each other sexually, and honestly, I'm going to include this, even making out. Um, we don't think of touching and kissing as like a big deal because our culture says it's normal and it's like it's in every single teen movie and even Disney movies and it's just normal, it's just fun, it's just whatever. Just chill out, Nath. I don't think so. Like I think kissing a little bit is all right when you're not married, but making out with someone totally engages with that other, per other person's sex drive. Like you're not technically having sexual intercourse with them, obviously, but you're engaging with them sexually in that moment. That's, that's not cool. That's when naked and ashamed comes back, comes back in. <laughs> you want to be naked and unashamed. Honor God with this stuff, guys. Like he has like a pot of gold waiting for you. If you do it his way, that's how he designed it. Your ultimate joy when you follow him. He's not ripping you off. He's not, who would do that? What kind of God would do that? That's stupid. I wouldn't follow that God. Um... <coughs> Okay, the rush of emotion and the release of stimulating chemicals in the mind, talking about making out, is very difficult to control if you're, if you're walking in, um, sorry, if you're not walking in the self-control that the Holy Spirit has for you. Self-control, that's the fruit of the Spirit, to be able to control yourself. I feel like I want to sleep with you, but I'm not going to. That's self-control. <laughs> that's Holy Spirit. That's His fruit. He produces in you. You've got to follow him though. <clears throat> if you don't know who you are, you will very likely follow the flesh and keep on pushing and pushing and pushing the line until one day you'll both be naked and you have no idea how you got there. I honestly, okay, this is just me being 100% honest. I honestly know of two Christian couples that kept themselves pure till marriage. There's probably more, but I don't think there'd be many more than that. I only know of two. <clears throat> if you're in a relationship and you're not walking the purity that God, that you know God has for you, you need to speak up and get into the light. 
The darkness is the devil's playground. It will hurt you and it will hurt your partner if you don't seek sexual healing in God. You need to. <coughs> um, sexual sin hurts your future spouse if you're not married. I'm not saying this to try and hurt you. So you go, oh crap, now I have a motivation to do this. I think fear and guilt and all that kind of, those kind of motivators are really horrible motivators. They get you started for like a day and then next minute you're just like back to it, your old ways again. Anyone experience that? Me, I have. <laughs> the best motivator I've ever found is beauty. 100%. If you tell someone how beautiful something is and they can actually get that, they'll, they'll become this like motivation, this rush, this like drive within them, this ambition. I'm going to get that thing. Even if it means I have to deny myself 100,000 times, I'm going to get that thing. If I tell you how beautiful sex is in the way God intended it to be and you believe me, you'll go for it. But if I say, don't do it, God's angry at you, he's going to throw a lightning bolt at you if you, if you do it again. You'll be like, ah, oh. and then next minute you'll just be back to porn and masturbation and whatever again. You will. You just, it's a bad motivator. It lasts for like half an hour. <laughs> anyway. Um, sexual sin hurts a future spouse if you're not married. I want to give you guys, if you're not married, I want to give you guys something to fight for. I want to fight for my future spouse. I want to fight to keep myself pure. I want to fight to keep myself in God's will sexually until I get married. And then obviously still stay in God's will then as well. But I want to fight while I'm not married to stay there. I'm going to fight for them. Guys especially will totally rise up with this. I'm going to fight for my future wife. I haven't even met her yet. I'm going to fight for her. She's worth it. <laughs> even if you are going to marry your current boyfriend slash girlfriend but you're messing up sexually that justifies nothing don't be like oh we're gonna get married one day it's all good like in the end right no totally not totally not it's not okay it does not justify anything it's not like a little clause that you've just found like a little loophole <laughs> there are no loopholes um, you're demonstrating to each other if you're in this place that you would rather obey the flesh than follow the spirit. And that's not the kind of foundation that you want to have in a relationship. You want to have that together you are both pursuing God. You're both pursuing following the spirit and not the flesh. Don't start out in this way of just like messing up sexually. Oh, it's fine. God forgives us. He knows our hearts. It's not okay. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the other person. You're hurting your future. You're letting the enemy in. You guys hear those stories where it's like pastors, like one day they just leave the church because they got found in sexual sin and everyone's just like so shocked. I've heard that story like a hundred times because you know why? Sex is totally taboo and totally in the dark and he couldn't reach out to it and ask for help because he felt embarrassed. And so it started as this little tiny desire, like a little flick of an image on the internet or a little whatever. And then it slowly just becomes into this desire, growing, growing, growing. And all of a sudden you're like looking at porn and all of a sudden you're just like not interested in your wife anymore. And all of a sudden you're interested in someone else at work and all of a sudden, you know, it just grows and grows and grows. And the next minute he's just left with that girl. It's like, whoa, what? What? Are you serious? Pastors, pastors of the church. That's like rampant. I've heard that story so many times. It's ridiculous. Anyone else heard that story? Mm -hmm. Like just, yeah, 
<laughs> what the heck? Everyone's heard it. That's insane. Oh, seek help. Romans 8, like I said before, if you follow the flesh, it leads to death. But if you follow the spirit, it leads to life and peace. So if you want life and peace, anyone want life and peace here? I want life and peace. If you want life and peace in your, in your relationship sexually, then you need to follow the spirit's way of doing sex. Even that's a weird sentence for me to say, the spirit's way of doing sex. Because we just don't think God's in sex. He's so in it. He's in the room. <laughs> He's intimately involved in it. But no one believes that. All right, number three, sexual assault. Um, this is another way that we've just completely broken the design of what God's made for us. <laughs> sexual assault and rape might honestly be the most horrific things on this entire planet. It probably is the absolute worst, disgusting, demonic, horrible, sinful, evil thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> it's horrific. If you've ever been a victim of sexual assault, I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know all about that. Sexual assault says, screw commitment and screw unconditional love and screw even your consent I'm getting, no, I'm getting what I want, no matter how much it hurts or affects you. It's the most demonic, horrible thing imaginable. Particularly when men use their dominance to overpower women and force themselves on them. <clears throat> I'm sorry if this is uncomfortable, but it's good we bring it up. If you've been a victim of sexual assault or rape, I'm honestly, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry that you had to go through that. As you're totally, totally so much better than that. You totally have so much more value than that. Someone devalued you. But you need to know that you are beautiful and infinitely valuable to God. And if you'll bring your heavy burdens to Jesus, he'll be glad to bear them for you and wash you of your shame. See, we can even have shame when someone sins sexually against us. And that's totally not okay even though we didn't do anything wrong. We still got to bring that up and say, I need help. This happened to me. Someone treated me like this. <clears throat> no one should have treated you like that and you are not worthless. You do have value and you are beautiful. Please don't let it define you. Please tell someone, a parent, a counselor, a friend, please open up. I know it must be so hard, but it is so worth it. Holding on to shame or even bitterness and anger towards the offender can actually potentially hurt you even more. <clears throat> so please let it go. And if you've committed sexual assault, please also seek Jesus. <clears throat> if you genuinely grieve, like I'm not just saying to the victims here, I'm saying even if people have committed in this room or on this recording, have heard this and they've committed sexual assault, please, I'm not... Please also seek Jesus. If you genuinely grieve what you've done to someone else and you want forgiveness, you only need to ask Jesus. He's not judging you. He wants to show you mercy. He delights in showing mercy. He will wash you and take care of you too, even if the world completely condemns you for it. You're disgusting. You're pathetic. We can never forgive you. It's true what you did was disgusting and horrible, but nothing's too disgusting and too horrible that you can't be washed by Jesus. He will wash you and he'll take care of you too. But you should also come clean to whoever is appropriate. 
You may need to tell the police what you did. Justice needs to be served and you need to face the consequences of what you did. You may be charged, but you can be both charged and washed by the blood. You can rid yourself of guilt and shame too. Now. Sorry about all the heavy stuff, but if I don't show you the problem, then the answer won't look so good. Um, it's a huge problem. It's, it's rampant. And I don't think stuff being in the dark is the only issue. Of course it's not. But I think it's a big issue. And I think if we can just open up, at least there can be some sort of healing and a movement towards the right way where God wants us to be naked and unashamed. Point number three, into the light. <coughs> okay. So we're not going to let sin ruin this beautiful gift of God, right? We can't. Let's redeem it. Let's use it for how he's designed it to be used and experience full joy in that. But I really need you to feel the heaviness of this situation. I need you to see that naked, unashamed, healed and washed is God's desire for you sexually. You need this. Most people have sexual shame and it's time this thing no longer had a hold on us. <coughs> so you got your Bible slipped to 1 John 1. <coughs> Get a bit of scriptures in tonight. <coughs> yeah, 1 John chapter 1, starting verse 5. <clears throat> this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and we do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light this is the key verse but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Read it again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if you walk in the light, if you live in the light, if you live in this place of vulnerability, being exposed, talking honestly, being real, sharing your heart, if you walk that way, if you don't walk in secret sin and darkness and shame, and guilt, and condemnation, if you walk that way, then you can actually have, first of all, you can be with God because he's in the light. You can connect with him because he's in the light. You can have fellowship with one another. You can truly know people and they can truly know you. And that's where intimate relationships and deep relationships uh, grow. So don't feel like they have like friends, but they don't have that many deep, deep, deep friends. Like I totally feel like that. I got lots of people that I know and people that I talk to and people that I meet up with, but like deep, real friends who are like got my back and I got their back and we're just like blood brothers to death. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's like, that's rare. And that, those people are hard to find. But if we walk in the light, we can have fellowship with one another. If we're real with each other, we just share what's going on and we walk like Jesus as best we can in holiness then we can relate to one another, know one another. 
But if we keep secrets and just keep our keep ourselves to ourselves and not share with that with other people, we were not going to have those true relationships, those deep relationships. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from, cleanses us from all sin. Anyone want to be cleansed from all sin? Then walk in the light as He is in the light. Cleansed. How's that word? When you cleanse something, you fully, fully cleanse, clean it, wash it out. Washed of all sin. How crazy is that? Um, if we say we have no sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that again, verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confessing them to him, and I would also say to other people, James 5.16 says that, confess to other people, then he is faithful, so he will forgive you, he will cleanse you and remove all unrighteousness. In those few verses there, he said he will remove all sin and all unrighteousness. By what? Confessing and living in the light simple <laughs> okay um, let's bring sex into the light let's not dance around the topic anymore let's be a community that can talk openly and honestly let's be a community that does not let doesn't let sin or shame win against us and hold us down Jesus wants us to be free by walking in the light but the only way to walk in the light is to rid yourself of darkness. Imagine if you could just like, you knew that the people at this community or the people that you're clo closely in relationship with and in friendship with, you knew that you could tell them anything that you've done and all they would be thinking is, man, how can I help? How can I pray? And just zero judgment. And, and you feel zero shame or embarrassment or humiliation. How awesome would that be? I want that. <laughs> Imagine that. That'd be so cool. Um, cool. I want you guys to be motivated by beauty. I want you guys to see the beauty that God has for you sexually with your husband or with your wife in the future or currently right now. I want you to see that it, it's completely and utterly his desire and joy and will to make it so that you don't experience shame. That shame that you feel right now, that you felt in your past, which I'm pretty sure probably we all have. He's like, yeah, I don't want that for you. Did you know God says that? Did you know he doesn't want that for you? <laughs> he wants you to be free from it. Yes, you messed up. I get it. You messed up. I messed up too. But let's... We can't change that. You can't go back and change that. So let's just accept it for what it is. <laughs> and then talk to him about it and then get cleansed of all sin and all unrighteousness and then keep walking, living free in him. <laughs> I like that. Um, if, if you are at the moment being motivated by fear and guilt, to try and like, come on, I gotta just live sexually pure. Oh, come on, I can do better, I can do better, I can do better. 
I pro- you'll grow tired. You totally will grow tired. Even if you go well for like six months, that'll be like a world record. <laughs> but even if you can do that, somehow you can manage to do that for six months. You'll grow tired. You'll slip back into it. Like, oh, I've been in that place. It's not fun. You'll grow tired of trying to avoid things um, you want to do. <laughs> People get tired of that. I want to do this, but I can't. I want to do this, but I can't. I want to do this, but I can't. I want to do this. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. <laughs> That's what we do. But what you should do is pursue the things that you were meant to do. Does that make sense? So you still get to do what you want to do, but you do it through his perspective. Always in the light. I want to motivate you guys by talking about, uh, I want to motivate you guys to sexual purity in all areas of life by talking about its beauty. Being naked and unashamed in true vulnerability is one of the most amazing things you can ever experience. God wants that for you. He's leading you to full joy. You just have to let him. You need to keep yourself pure from all sexual immorality. That's what Ephesians 5 says. There should not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Even a hint. Just none of it in our whole community. That's what Paul writes. And even if you experience thoughts, just don't enter into them. Everyone experiences thoughts. I reckon Jesus would have experienced sexual thoughts. Totally. Just not entered into them in like a lustful kind of selfish way. That's when you sin. That's when you mess up. You always have a choice. You can't control everything that comes in here, but you can choose what you enter into. And you don't do that by buckling down and being, trying to be super disciplined. This is what you do. You know who you are as a washed son or washed daughter of God. You know who you are. And you follow the desires of the Spirit in love, joy, and peace. And you don't fight with yourself and you don't war with the flesh. You pursue God. It's always the same answer, isn't it? You pursue God, you seek God. When the flesh arcs up and you just feel like, oh, I just have to sin sexually, I have to do something sexually. You tell the flesh, I'm not gonna walk that way. I'm not gonna walk that way. You speak to your body and go, no, that's not what we're doing. I'm following the spirit. And yeah, it's freaking hard, to be honest. It's probably the hardest, hardest fight some of you will ever experience. It's walking in sexual purity. But you can do it. The Bible says there's always a way out of temptation. You have the Spirit of God in you. He'll give you strength. You can do it. You just got to choose Him best you can. <laughs> Even speak it out loud if you have to, seriously. And if you stumble and fall, not when, if you stumble and fall, Then you confess your sins and you seek healing and you keep going. Don't stop. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep seeking him. There's there's a pot of gold (laughs) waiting for you in naked and unashamed with with your spouse. God's way isn't going to let you down. If you follow the spirit in sex, um, you give you and your spouse the best chance at having an utterly incredible and beyond words sexual relationship that ties you stronger and stronger together every single time. Does that sound good? I like the sound of that. Um, This is his will for you. This is what he wants for you guys. Uh, I'm sure, honestly, this talk brought up a lot of stuff. Like I spoke very plain, very obviously, like I wasn't beating around the bush. 
And I, I need you to see that shame, guilt, and darkness is what's keeping you from healing towards your fullest sexual joy. That's where God's leading you, towards your fullest sexual joy. Um, expose the darkness in your life by bring it to the light. That's all I want to say. Bring it up. Talk to someone. Do you guys get that? I've said it like a billion times, so you just don't miss it. <laughs> Speak to someone. Speak it out loud. Be honest. No one's judging you. Hopefully not anyway. If you come and speak to me, you don't have to. But if you come and speak to me, I will promise I will not judge you. I've heard a lot of bad stuff and I don't judge anyone. <laughs> like, honestly, you guys would be shocked at some of the sexual sin that's in, even in this community. It's like, you'd never imagine it. But it's, it's here. And I don't judge the people that have done it. Because they, they genuinely grieve and they genuinely regret it. <laughs> Probably your stuff's not that bad. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. So if anyone needs prayer, um, come speak to me, come speak to someone, come speak to anyone and just say, you don't even have to tell me what you did or what, what's going on with you. I don't really mind if you don't do that. Just seek something, seek healing, seek God on this stuff, guys. Seek him out. And even if you're just like, yeah, we're kind of going right sexually, but you're just like, you know, there's more. Seek God on that too. There's more. It's good. All right, I'll finish on this Bible verse and we're done. Psalm eighteen twenty-eight. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Peace. Questions? Well, dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> We good? No questions? Last chance. Okay. Yay. Thank you, Jesus.